Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. We've been studying for a few weeks now, uh, a well-known and famous Bible passage, Psalm chapter 23. And uh, Psalm chapter 23, and we're getting to the last part of it today, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And those words, uh, written 3,000 plus years ago, have comforted generation upon generation of people in good times and in bad. And uh, today I want to teach to you the last two verses, which starts with, you prepare a table before me, and ends in, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we've kind of themed or put these messages together under this idea of good holidays with the good shepherd. There's this funny uh, juxtaposition that this time of year, which is supposed to be kind of like, we made it to the end of the year, and it's a time to go a little calmer and enjoy time with people and supposed to be family time or time to, you know, be excited about our company made our numbers this year. It's almost Christmas break at school, all that stuff. For many people, it ends up being a time filled with another obligation and another obligation and another obligation. It's this weird thing where it's supposed to be a time of celebration, but it ends up being a time of business. Anyone feeling that vibe a little bit? Okay, a few people and a few eye rolls. Cool. Yeah, that's where we're starting. All right, all right, all right. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but what I believe Psalm 23 teaches us and uh, what I believe is available to you and to me today is what is described in the text as still waters. Still waters is uh, a calm outlook on the present. From having experienced my shepherd's comfort in the past and having certainty about his protection for the future. I want you just to read those words and think about that for a second. That that's what the good shepherd, thanks Jake, that's what the good shepherd offers to you and to me. That even though we live in a world of frantically anxious, endlessly trying to earn more, consume more, do more people, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to. We have available to us a calm outlook on the present. A calm outlook on the present doesn't mean, like, you know those people who just kind of, like, lie to themselves about reality and then act like they're being brave? You ever met one of those kind of people? Uh, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is we don't have to live the way other people live. We can have a calm outlook on the present from having experienced. How do we do that? Our shepherd's comfort in the past 
He's been good to me back there, so I know he's going to be good to me right here, which allows me to know that he's going to be good to me again out there. That's what David is getting at in Psalm 23. I just want to, I've got four thoughts. We're going to go quick today uh, from these last two verses. First one is this. I can have still waters today because my enemies will see your, pointing to God, your favor. David here describes this vivid picture. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? It's the idea that you, under the care of the shepherd, are sitting at a feast, and all the people who've done you wrong are standing around, and they're forced to watch God bless you. That idea there, prepare, is the idea of to get ready or to set out in order. Um, just the other night, Kristen and I had some uh, friends of ours, pastors from around Chicago over for dinner, and she had the table set beautifully for a few days before. It was kind of like to warn the kids, stay away from the party that's about to happen. But it was, you know, the power of a beautifully set table, right, where there's centerpiece, and she had like uh, some garland, I think, and there was these little sparkly things, and there's all the nice plates and the nice cups, the kind of stuff that like you're so excited to have and then only get out like two times in a year or whatever that. It's this, it was a, what does a beautiful table say? A beautiful table and a beautiful meal prepared communicates that the thing that's about to happen is significant, right? We don't, uh, most of us in our culture in this day and time, the way that we eat is not super formal. Lots of people are eating like, you know, out of a to-go box or on the go from this place to that place. It's a significant moment and time in the life of a person when what's happening? I'm sitting at a table and the table was prepared the way the table looks, the way that the food is put together. This is the picture that's being painted. And the picture that's being painted is God wants to give that, will give that to you and to me. And all the people who've treated us most poorly have no choice but to stand around and to watch. And to the, to the mind of a Christian, this starts to pull things into tension. Because Jesus talks quite a lot about uh, turning the other cheek, uh, forgiving, letting things go. And so it starts to kind of bubble up as you're pondering this idea. So wait, which is it? Am I supposed to like pretend that the people that hurt me didn't hurt me because that's the way to act the most like Jesus? Or am I supposed to be like really glad when they get what's coming to them and things fall apart? Well, the way that we see it is, let me say it this way, God calls us to forgive, sure. But that doesn't mean that he forgets. So the way that we pull it apart is that most often, biblically speaking, God calls us to lay down our desire to harm people who've done us wrong so that he can take up our cause on our behalf. Uh, you see this all over the scripture. And David, who's writing here, David had real enemies. David was at war with the Philistines. David, uh, Saul, his mentor, father figure in many ways, tried to kill him. David had his own son, Absalom, try to take his throne. David knew what it was to have his life in danger, his hopes for the future demolished by people who did them wrong. And there's this weird thing that bubbles up sometimes uh, in the Christian community, which if you're here today, you're at least adjacent to it, that the Christian community has this way of pressuring people to act like they weren't hurt because that somehow is more godly. It's, it's why at times churches have, known, have been known as places that aren't safe for women who are being abused in a marriage. It's why churches aren't always the best place for people who are being abused in any way, frankly, historically, because we get the spiritual part and the legal part mixed up, and we get the part that God is supposed to do and the part that we're supposed to do mixed up. 
So if someone treats you bad at work, you don't get to just go like, Jack, big guy, my friend here in the front row, someone treats you bad at work, Jack, you don't get to just like punch them in the face or slash their tires or whatever fun ideas that we can come up with. You don't get to do that. But that doesn't mean, Jack, that when someone treats you really poorly, you can't be glad when God gives them what's coming to them. You see the difference? Scripture talks about this quite a bit. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 describes it this way, that God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So the God, the great God of the universe, considers it the right thing. What's supposed to happen is when people do you wrong, they get what's coming to them, just not often, not often through our hands. Uh, it's described this way in Deuteronomy, another verse, the vengeance is mine. The Lord says, and recompense for the day, for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. God is pleased to bring the just consequences to people who hurt the people that he loves. And David promises here in Psalm 23, the people who have treated you wrong are going to see that God is with you. Now, what makes it so challenging for you and me? What makes it so challenging for you and me is when is the day that you would like all the people who've done you wrong to get what's coming to them? When's the day? Now. Like, yeah, today. Like, before the service is over. Like, it'd be cool if I heard that it happened yesterday and I hadn't heard about it yet. That's the part that makes it challenging is not the faith, often not the faith that it will happen, but how do I keep having the faith while I'm waiting for it to happen? Your enemies will see your favor. These are people who battle you, people who bully you, people who berate you, people who betray you. It may not be as dramatic as some of the stories that David has, but we all have the experience of people who should have treated us a certain way, not treating us that way, and the internal struggle of trying to make sense of that, while sometimes those people, the, what, they're the worst feeling. What's the worst feeling? It's like they got away with it. It's like they got away with it. It's like, wait. We don't offer the easy answer. The easy answer is you shouldn't feel that way or it didn't happen or just get over it. The true answer, scripturally speaking, is God is going to take care of it and everyone is going to know in his time and in his way. Your enemies will see God's favor. David continues by saying, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I can have still waters today, and you can have still waters today, because my needs will see God's abundance. My needs will see God's abundance. Uh, when you hear in the Old Testament, this is just a little thing as you're studying your Bible, when you hear oil, don't think uh, cooking oil. Don't think like oil change, like why all the money is in the Middle East, oil. Oil is a picture in the Old Testament of God's uh, favor and God's blessing. Over and over and over. Oil was often used, this kind of oil was often used in the first, uh, in the Old Testament world as currency. You see this all over the Bible, like an example, 2 Kings chapter 4. There's a widow who has no money, and the way that God meets her needs is she has all of a sudden jars filled with oil. So whenever you see the word oil, it's the idea of God's blessing. So what does he say? He says, you anoint my head with oil. That's the idea of preparing someone for this feast. And then he says this beautiful phrase, so simple, these three words, my cup overflows. It's the idea of not lacking in any way. More than enough. More than enough. 
more than enough, so much more than enough that it could be considered foolish. Amen from the baby in the back of the house. More than enough. And that sometimes comes into conflict for uh, us Midwesterners. Who in the room was like born and raised in the Midwest? Come on, show hands, show hands, show hands. Right. Because us Midwesterners, we pride ourselves on our modesty, don't we? I mean, you can't hardly. If I walked to almost any person in this room during the brunch in an hour and said, I really love your coat, almost without fail, she said, she would say, you'll never believe it. I got it for such a great deal. <laughs> and having lived on the West Coast, I'll just tell you, they're not like that on the West Coast. And they're not like that. On the, it's this, it's there's something about that sort of the people that settled here and the legacy of what it means to, we go through the winter. We're not like those weaklings that go off to wherever we we're tough, we're strong, we're the... There comes with it this modesty that's all over the culture, especially the Christian culture, if you live around here, that has this idea that, like, um, wanting more than you have is not godly, or that just abundance in every way is weak or lazy or superfluous or something of that nature. And that is not the way that God's economy works. God's economy works in abundance. God loves to give us not just the bare minimum. God loves to give us more than enough. If just the picture, I uh, remember what it was like. Uh, I remember the bill for this carpet, so I decided not to bring a cup up here and pour liquid into it while it ran over on the stage, which what I would have done in my younger days when someone else had paid the bill for the carpet. But just imagine when a cup is overflowing, when a cup is overflowing, what is the person pouring into the cup saying? It's okay if some of it spills, isn't utilized. What's, my cup overflows is a picture of there's so much more than enough, I'm not worried about some of it not being utilized. And uh, I was, just the other day, I was in downtown Arlington Heights, and I was looking at uh, the building where Kristen and I lived, the apartment that we lived in the first year that we were married. And the first year that we were married, we were broke. We were broke, not like, um, not like if my bonus isn't what I think it's going to be, then I might have to take a little bit of money out of my 401k broke. We were broke like we got to eat whatever we have here because there's no money in any of the accounts, like kind of broke. The like, do you remember, did anyone, I don't know, maybe no, no, I know, no, maybe you've never experienced this, I know. If, but the feeling of being not like American broke or like, I remember the first year we were broke and we got this apartment that we couldn't afford because we, we were too dumb even to know that we were broke. Uh, <laughs> That was more, more my fault and responsibility than hers. But if you know the feeling of like, of like, I got to stretch this dollar. I got to stretch these dollars. I got to figure out how to do it. That it is a consuming, not having enough financially starts to consume you, doesn't it? It's in your mind all the time. It's in your mind all the time. It's in your mind. Maybe the reason you came to church today is because you heard there might be a free meal and that's going to help you make it to get into Christmas. And praise God. Take a bag. Take an extra bag home if you want. It's otherwise just going to end up in the fridge for me to eat. So please do. But if you know the feeling of there not being enough, then try to flip it around to the picture that God wants you to see from his word this morning, that when he's around, there's more than enough. Now, where it starts to break down, of course, is that what we think are the things to matter abundantly are not the things that God thinks matter abundantly. So American culture would tell us, so what does that mean? There's just like unlimited party, unlimited fun, unlimited sneakers, unlimited money. No, abundance in God's economy is something even better. God gives us, what does our cup overflow? 
If we stay close to the shepherd, there is one, an abundance of peace. You can find that in Philippians 4, 7. People who are close to the shepherd can go through things that tear other people apart with strength because they have access to something the rest of the world doesn't have access for. There's an abundance of peace. There's also available to those who are close to the shepherd an abundance of contentment. You can get around people who don't have a lot and find that they're the happiest people you've ever met because they aren't thinking through the prism that everyone else is. There is an abundance. I pray that God would bless all of us with that contentment. That he's given us everything that we need to do exactly what he wants us to do right now. In God's economy, there is an abundance of fruitfulness. God is able to do things through you that he doesn't do through other people. There's an abundance of joy. Oh, man, how much I would love for that to find its way to your home this holiday season. There's an abundance of grace for other people. It's why when church folks and Christian people are getting it right, we are the most able to forgive, the most able to give people another chance, the most able to help people find their way through. The picture here, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Whatever you're finding this holiday season that you are in need of, God wants to give you not just, we made it, he wants to give you more than enough, more than enough more than enough, more than enough. And when we start to think um, like God wants to give us more than we need, it allows us to be bolder in what we ask him for, and it allows us to be stronger in what we expect for the future. I, uh, like 51 weeks out of the year, I'm pretty much the same person at home and with Kristen and our kids and everything, but we go on a vacation usually in the summer for one week. We're on this journey. We're trying to go to all 50 states with the kids before the kids turn 18. And I'm a different person that week. I'm someone known as Vacation Dad. And when Vacation Dad is on the scene, uh, all the limits disappear. And so it's like, Dad, can we have some ice cream? Sure. I mean, it's 9.15 in the morning, but why not? Because it's, it's that kind of like, it's just all kind of, why? Because we're doing our best in this era, Kristen and I, to raise our family well. And that usually means a lot of saying, no. No, no, not that, not that, not that, not that. I feel like it's important for them to experience joy and excitement. And so, like, in this one week of the year, it's, like, as much screen time as you can find, and if you want to go swimming again at midnight, we just try our best to, like, inside the boundaries of legality, and even that sometimes gets a little blurred if you know me at all. We're just doing whatever it is. That week is the week of fun. It's the week of overflow, 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 overflow. And what it means is that the kids start to ask, and their attitude gets, it gets crazier and crazier. Our third one, he's somewhere in this building right now, Graham especially, he's just, he's smart. And so he just starts going, Dad, hey, 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 I saw this, I saw this other ice cream place down the street. What do you think? Well, we just finished the cone, bud, but yeah, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> and I wonder what would happen, my dear friends, I wonder what would happen in you. I wonder what would happen in you if you started to see the great God of the universe, the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, as not reluctant to give his good gifts to you, like, I gotta get it just right, I gotta wait till the right time, I gotta ask him in the perfect way. But I wonder what you would start to ask God for if you believed that in his heart he wanted to give you all the good things. He wanted your head to be anointed with oil and your cup to overflow. 
talk about that a little bit more in a second. Then we get to the last verse. It says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Two more things. First one is this. Uh, still waters, because my wandering will see your kindness. Again, I just want to remind us, still waters is this idea of having a calm outlook on the present, because I've experienced my shepherd's comfort in the past, and I have certainty about his protection for the future. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This here is a picture of being constantly pursued. It's a picture of being faithfully followed. What does it mean? Goodness and mercy. God's goodness is pointing at his moral purity and his promise-keeping track record. God's mercy is pointing at his obligation of family to loyalty and faithfulness, goodness and mercy. It's pointing at a God who gives us great things and then also doesn't give us all the bad things that we deserve. And the idea here is that the goodness and mercy is going to keep on following us regardless. It's going to keep on following us regardless. Notice here it doesn't say like your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life if if I promise to do everything the way that I'm supposed to. It doesn't say, your goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life as long as I make all the right choices, do all the right things, keep all the right habits, do all the stuff that I'm supposed to do. It just says, straightforward, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Which means that God's goodness and mercy is following us even when we're not following him. I'm grateful in church today for all the times that even when I stopped following God, that his mercy and grace and goodness was still following me. Anybody got some thankfulness for that this morning? That it, we're used to, you and me, we're used to transactional relationships. So we're used to, as long as I give you what you want, you give me what I want. As long as I do X and Y, your company will keep buying from my company. As long as I do this, do this. Like, it's uh, because... Uh, we have, my, Chris and I have three boys that are all in the middle of playing sports. We're really popular with all the like, coaches and teams and people because like, we show, they show up pretty often wanting kids to sign up for stuff, and we show up with a check in our hand. And so we're really popular. They love us. But I'm not like, so foolish as to think that when they all grow up, these people are still going to be calling on me on the phone saying, hey, you want to hang out? We're used to you and me. We're used to transactional relationships. And that can start to affect the way that we look at the God whose goodness and mercy is following us all the days of our lives. He gave us all of his goodness and mercy at the beginning, and we still maintain it even when we don't follow him as faithfully as we want to, as we should. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then the last part, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Uh, last part, still waters, because my forever will see your present, your presence. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. David appears to be drawing, and he, this happens often in the Bible, he seems to be pointing to something close at hand, time-wise, and also at the same time pointing to something a long time in the future. So he seems to be saying, I'm going to stay close to God while I'm here on this earth right now. And I'm going to still be close to God forever because I'm going to meet him when my life eventually ends. 
And being able to keep those two things at the same time in our hands, that this is important, life is right now. Right now, dear friend, you're not warming up for anything. This is the life that God has given you right now, and we need to love him and serve him and give it everything that we have to try to bring glory to him while we're here on this earth. And if it wasn't for what we know happens after we die, none of it works and none of it makes sense. Do you have to have in clear eyes that when we, we will meet him face to face, we will meet him face to face, we will meet him face to face. It's this idea that my residence physically, mentally, and perpetually is God's presence. Why does David go out of his way over and over in this psalm? He says it several times that the thing that makes it work is proximity to the shepherd. He says it over and over and over and over. So uh, we had this really cool uh, thing happen uh, this past week. Um, Kristen called me. Sunday night, I went out to pick up dinner and I was waiting in a line, and Kristen said, call me, good news. And so I called her on the phone, and uh, she told me that she prayed with our little five-year-old daughter to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Yeah, very cool, right? Very cool, very cool, very cool, very cool. Okay, yeah. I'm sure if she, she heard that uh, clapping, it would bless her heart to no end. The, um, and so uh, I want to go somewhere with this. We have a picture of it. This was like right after it happened. And uh, so it was this beautiful little thing. Kristen had this opportunity to pray with her and everything, and uh, it was wonderful. So then I was talking to her uh, when I got home, and I was like, so Fifi, like, that's what I call her. What is it? What, is this, what does this mean? She's like, well, it means that uh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Like, cool. What else does it mean? And she, she says, it means Jesus forgives me for my sin. Okay, really cool. So I was kind of like asking her questions. Okay, pause for just one second. I'm coming back to this. So if you've been part of uh, Good News for a while, you may remember um, Kim, who's one of the folks who leads worship here, uh, she, about a year ago, her son was, uh, she has a son who was murdered in Chicago, uh, Kim, who leads worship here. And uh, it was, for a variety of reasons, very personal to me. Her son was the same age as I am. And her son, who died, has a daughter the same age as my Fifi. Her name's Journey. And they play together all the time. And uh, it was just a very, like, for all the reasons you can imagine, our church, if you were here, it was an amazing thing of community. We rallied around her in so many really cool ways. And so I'm standing there. And I said, so Fifi, like, what's, what's going to happen when you go to heaven? And she said, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see Journey's dad. And I was like, wow. I was like, you know, it's not like something, it's just whatever it is. You know, with kids, it's amazing sometimes, you know, this stuff that ends up in their heads. And you're like, how did this get there? And then you're terrified about what other stuff ends up in their heads. And they just, <laughs> but there's just this beautiful, just beautiful, simple faith. It's like the one person that she could think of that she's ever known in her life that, was here and now is dead. And it was like in her mind, well, I'm going to go to heaven and we're going to meet. And this is where I want to end. They're gonna, guys are going to come and we're going to sing in just a second. But this is where I want to end. So just try to stay with me. Our ability to see that it's about what's out there after this life is the single biggest component that allows us to have a calm outlook on the present, no matter what comes our way. The single thing that makes it like, so we're able to stay strong when we don't like the news from the doctor, when it seems like our enemies are still thriving, when we don't know if we can go one more day dealing with these kids or hanging on in this marriage or making it through whatever we're navigating right now. The single thing isn't 
I know it's going to get better here on earth. It probably is. And God wants to bless you in the here and now. And we're not just waiting for what's out there. But I'm telling you, we will meet him face to face, dear friends. He will wipe every tear from our eye. We will walk on streets paved with gold. And the pains and frustrations and difficulties that seemed like we would never make past them here will be just a faint memory light like the old song says of his glory and his grace and so I just wonder how we look at this holiday season and all the stuff that we're trying to face if we're just like all right you know what it doesn't feel like it right now but I know it the people that have done me wrong I'm gonna do my best to just put them over here because God they're gonna get what's coming to them and I'm gonna be excited when I hear the news but God's gonna have to do it and and I wonder what happens to my mindset it's all right, calm down back there in the choir. And then I wonder what happens to my mindset this season if I, like, really, really, really have it. He is going to supply all my needs. Yes. If I don't have it yet, it means he's decided I don't need it yet. Come he on. is going to supply all of my needs. And when I'm wandering, when I'm confused, when I can't figure it out, his goodness and mercy are right with me all. Because when this life ends, I am going to meet him face to face. Yes. And all this trouble is going to be over. Yes. And so I'm not going to be like down. I'm not going to walk around with that look like it's all falling apart. No matter what it feels like right now, I have a shepherd. He is a good shepherd. He loves and laid down his life for the sheep. And I believe by faith and I'm going to see good things ahead. So I'm going to be encouraged and full of good courage this holiday season. Why? Because I have faith that everything he's promised is true. That's what I came to say today. Why don't you stand to your feet and I'm going to pray. Lord, I ask today by faith that you would strengthen each one of us to believe that everything that you've said is true. Every pain and difficulty is temporary, and you are with us, and you are good. And so, Lord, we just want to open our, our mouths, we want to open our eyes, we want to open our hearts, we want to love you, we want to praise you, we want to give everything that we have to you this season. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is good news.